Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Thousands of Cubans have taken to the streets in what's being described as the largest protest against the communist regime in decades, maybe ever. The moment when Americans should be united with the Cuban people in their fight against a brutal socialist dictatorship. What's the left doing? Oh, trying to blame the whole thing on COVID. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. That was thousands of Cubans protesting outside of the National Capitol building in Havana chanting Libertad, the Spanish word for freedom or liberty. This is a pivot point. This could be a major game-changing moment in the history of that country. And we want to dive into what's going on and what could happen here and, and how we got to this place. First, New York Times over the weekend Shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans, hundreds of Cubans took to the streets in cities around the country on Sunday to protest food and medicine, medicine shortages in a remarkable eruption of discontent not seen in nearly 30 years. Yes, there have not been protests since the early 1990s uh, in Cuba uh, of any real scale or magnitude. But it's interesting the New York Times focuses on the shortages of food and medicine. Uh, Cuba is a country that has been dealing with shortages for the last 60 years. You get ration cards that say how much meat and how many eggs you are allowed to have. And if you buy food on the black market, you can be thrown in prison. This is a police state in the truest sense and a relic of the Cold War, an actual communist regime that continues to be a kleptocracy built upon a mountain of force and oppression. That's the reality of what Cuba has been for a long time. But as you know, the Democrats have a certain fondness for the socialist uh, dystopia of Cuba because of their socialist leanings. The far left in America in particular believes that walking around a college campus with a Che Guevara t-shirt on or espousing your love of Cuba's beaches and great food because you went there as a tourist, celebrities, actors, rappers, lots of people have gone in recent years to talk about how great things are and they don't spend nearly as much time on how awful the country is for the people who live there. Uh, 
Jen Psaki had to get on the defensive because people who saw that the Biden administration wanted to make this about the lack of proper Fauciism in Cuba, you know, not enough vaccines, not enough masks, uh, they're, missing, they're missing the reality of what's happening there. Jen Psaki, of course, disagrees. Here she is. You're talking today about how some of these protests are inspired by people exhausted with the government. Why is it that yesterday the State Department was saying that this was all happening uh, out of concern about rising COVID cases? Well, I, I would say first that the protests were just happening yesterday. We're still assessing uh, what is motivating and, of course, and driving all of the individuals who came to the streets. But we know that when I, we say exhaustion, the uh, the um, the uh, the manner by which the people of Cuba are governed that can cover a range of issues whether it's uh, economic suppression media suppression lack of uh, access to health and medical supplies including vaccines there are a range of reasons and and voices we're hearing from people on the ground who are protesting yeah but why did they come out initially I mean do they not know anything about Cuba oh it's it's the COVID response that's got people all out in the streets. COVID response in countries all over the world has been a cause for criticism, including here in the United States. That's not the big differential this time around either. But the White House under the Biden administration doesn't want to be too stinging in their critique of what's going on in Cuba, because you will recall when Biden was vice president and it was President Obama's administration, without actually meeting the basic benchmarks of human rights, democracy, freedom and rule of law, the Obama administration decided unilaterally to start saying, fine, we're going to increase uh, economic ties and diplomatic normalization between the two countries. Why? Because Obama felt like it, essentially. Well, here's Biden today, which feels like, to me at least, when you hear him, it's the, they're doing the bare minimum on behalf of freedom and liberty of the Cuban people. Here's what he says. The Cuban people demanding their freedom from an authoritarian regime. And I don't think we've seen anything like this protest uh, in a long, long time, if, if quite frankly, ever. Um, the United States stands firmly with the people of Cuba as they assert their universal rights. And we call on the government, government of Cuba, to refrain from violence and their attempts to silence the voice of the people of Cuba. How about saying that the government of Cuba is illegitimate? How about saying that they're a bunch of thieving criminal oppressors? I mean, think about the way that Democrats routinely now describe Americans from our own past, our own history, right? And now think of the way they describe this regime today, one that was built upon a history of extrajudicial murder, of torture, of the enslavement of an entire island of people. Think about what's gone on there. And Biden just says, yeah, we stand in solidarity with Cuba and let's hope the regime doesn't have a lot of violence against them. That's it? What about taking some diplomatic actions against Cuban officials? What about adding to the list that the Trump administration was expanding during its four years of prohibited entities not allowed to do business with the U.S. and making sure that they're cut off from the global financial system as much as possible? What about saying that anyone caught on video engaged in a crackdown against peaceful dissent will, if they find themselves on U.S. soil, face prosecution? What about that? I mean, you, there are a lot of things you could throw out there, but no, the Biden administration has very little to say. We talked about the State Department and, and good for Peter Ducey for bringing up the initial State Department position. Here's Julie Chung, who's a State Department official. Peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express concern 
about rising COVID cases and medicine shortages. We commend the numerous efforts of the Cuban people mobilizing donations. This is not a bake sale to raise money for medicine. This is an uprising against people who are blood-soaked despots. And finally, the island nation of Cuba has said enough is enough. It's a shame they don't have a Second Amendment there because they can do more than just march in the streets. But that's also a reminder to us, of course. It seems the primary motivation of the Biden administration right now is to make sure that there is no violence of any kind, to which you have to ask, well, then how are we going to expect that the regime of the Castros now with, uh, with a different, a, a non-Castro as the actual head uh, of the country, but how is it, Diaz-Canal, how is it that there's actually going to be any kind of, uh, any kind of end to this despotism just through marches in the streets. They don't really deal with that. Julie, uh, Julie Chung also put out this. Uh, we are deeply concerned about calls to combat in Cuba. We stand by the Cuban people's right for peaceful assembly. Okay, well, uh, we call for calm and condemn any violence. I don't know, we're... we're starting to think that the Biden administration is fine with the Cuban regime continuing in place. What's up with that? Oh, because the Democrats like AOC and Bernie Sanders and a whole bunch of others have a whole lot of sympathy for commies. That's for sure. They like central planning. They like collectivism. They like socialism. And the fact that Cuba is just a, a festering sore of government mismanagement, oppression, and despair doesn't sit so well with the left. They don't want people to know that. You see, they don't want people to understand that it turns out when you put a a revolutionary dictatorship in charge of an economy run on social justice instead of, you know, markets and the rule of law, everybody's miserable. Everyone stands in line waiting for whatever eggs or chicken or cubes of beef they're allowed by the state. That's what they've been dealing with in Cuba for the last 60 years. I don't know. Maybe a little bit more ire, a little bit more excitement and anger righteous indignation from the Biden administration would be helpful here. But you won't get it. Too much love for commies in this White House. All right, we got more on the developing situation in Cuba with Young Voices' Daniel DiMartino when we come back. Everyone wants to invest in cryptocurrencies, but it's not that easy to get started. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that'll help answer your phone call and get you started because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7. A play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. And with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. And when it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals that have your back and speak to you honestly and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Down with dictatorship, down with Castro, down with communist dogs. Getting the feeling this isn't entirely about the Cuban government's COVID-19 response. Tens of thousands of Cubans are risking their lives today by taking to the streets in defiance of a communist dictatorship that has held power now for six decades. So could this be the final days of the communist regime? Daniel DiMartino is a senior contributor and fellow at Young Voices. He's been following the story very closely. He joins us now. Daniel, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Buck. Why are these protests happening? Let's start with the most basic and straightforward of questions. Well, I think that uh, it's very obvious that these protests are happening because of six decades of oppression of a people that have no freedom to travel, that have no freedom to buy, purchase, sell, uh, run their business, or, or do any of the things that we think of basic rights here in the United States because they are under the oppression of a socialist regime uh, started by Fidel Castro and now run by Raul Castro and President Miguel Diaz-Canel. Uh, now, if you listen to the Biden administration, what they said yesterday, uh, specifically the, the state representative, um, she said that it was due to rising COVID cases and that she was calling for peace. I don't think that the U.S. government should be calling for peace. It's not due to rising U.S. COVID cases, but the U.S. government shouldn't be calling for peace. It should be calling for freedom. To what degree do you think that this, uh, this current uh, surge of, of discontent and speaking out against the, against the tyrannical regime is tied to the government's COVID, the Cuban regime's COVID response? And, and what has that response been like? I mean, I know that, as you point out, there are a lot of other factors, and this has been bubbling up for a long time. But how have they been handling COVID? Yeah, they have not been handling COVID really well at all because the Cuban healthcare system doesn't work, right? There are no vaccines that work. So nobody in Cuba has an effective vaccine like we have here in the United States. And so COVID-19 has killed a lot of more people than, than it has and that the government has reported. So it's true that the government has mishandled COVID, but that is true everywhere around the world. What's special about Cuba is that Cuba is a socialist regime, and that's why people are going out. You know, in Venezuela, the government also mishandled COVID-19, and people are going out. But that's not happening uh, in, in every country in the world. It's just happening here. And it's special because it's just a few miles off of Miami, right? It's special because there are millions of Cubans Americans. And it's special because people like me who fled Venezuela feel a connection and, and want freedom for the people of Cuba because people don't deserve to live under that system. Now, there are indications the regime has shut down the Internet there. They're obviously trying to prevent people from knowing the truth about what's going on inside of, of Cuban borders. 
There are also reports of people in plain clothes, but who are agents of the regime in large numbers being deployed to threaten, attack, and just generally uh, squelch these protests. What can you tell us about what you're hearing and what the, the most up-to-date information is on the, on the crackdown from the regime against the people who are speaking out? Yeah, just last night, I was talking with several Cuban dissidents uh, through Twitter spaces uh, that they were connected through the internet still. And they actually informed me of several of their friends who, who had been arrested during the protest by the regime. And honestly, I'm not a stranger to this because this is exactly the tactics that the Venezuelan regime did to my friends and, and, to, and to my acquaintances when I lived in Venezuela until 2016. Um, it, it is a classic uh, of what's happening. Other regimes are using this time to make moves. Just now in Venezuela, the Venezuelan regime tried to arrest and arrested several uh, opposition leaders because they know that the world's attention is now somewhere else. And, and, and this is how, how these evil people work, right? They create a distraction, then they do something else, and, and they're going to try to shut down information. And do you think this could be the beginning of the end? Will this just lead to some reforms? Uh, what are you looking for in the days ahead to give us a sense of, of where this is going to go? Because we know this is unprecedented, right? We haven't seen anything like this, even close to this, since the 90s. And I've heard people who are longtime Cuba watchers, so to speak, who say there's never been anything quite like this in the modern era. So what do you think this leads to? What's going to happen? Yeah. Look, we have to understand that the Cuban people are unarmed and that the Cuban regime has shown that it's willing to do whatever it takes to stay in power. We have to, to know that the Cuban regime wants to stay in power because they can keep making money. Why can't they keep making money? Because they run drug trafficking operations, they finance terrorism around the world. And while they can keep making money, they will still hang into power and they have the weapons to repress the population. So I am skeptical of, of the success of just the, the Cuban protesters by themselves trying to overthrow the regime. Uh, I, I, I guess that I'm skeptical because Venezuelans have tried for 20 years and, and protests are much more common in Venezuela of an even bigger magnitude. And it's still not enough because when, when an armed people cannot defend itself against the military. What do you think the U.S. role in this should be? The Biden administration put out a statement today that seemed to express some sympathy, I guess you could, you could say it, for the freedom of the protesters and basic right to protest. I would have liked to have seen them say that this is a, a despotic regime that has done evil for decades and needs to go, uh, at least express that sense of solidarity. But, but what would you like to see and what would make sense, uh, given that we have a Biden administration in place here that clearly could play a role? What should they do? Yeah, well, first, let me tell you a little bit of what they are actually doing now, which is counterproductive. As we're speaking today, the Biden administration lifted sanctions on Venezuela while everybody was focusing on the Cuban protests. Venezuela, the regime that gives its oil and finances, the Cuban regime. So we know where the money is going to go. This happened just today. Uh, it was released by the, the Treasury Department. Marco Rubio tweeted it out, and the, and the, the press release went out uh, this morning. So that is what the Biden administration is doing as Cubans are reclaiming their freedom. They're giving money to their oppressors. So we should be doing the opposite. 
of, of this. We should actually be tightening sanctions. We should be trying to pressure other countries, specifically the European Union, that has been a historical collaborator of the Cuban regime that allows Spanish hotels and investment companies to operate in Cuba and American tourists who don't care about human rights, who stay there and give their money to the Cuban regime while the people are enslaved. Right? So that needs to stop because it's all about money. These people don't care about human rights, they care about money. And if the monetary incentives change, then we have a chance to actually uh, allow for freedom in the, in the island of Cuba and then in, in the rest of the world. So is it fair to say then the best thing from your perspective for the people of Cuba right now would be if the United States in concert with European allies, but leading on this issue, which I don't think, by the way, if you hold your breath waiting for Biden to do this, you're going to pass out because they're not going to. But just so we understand where where this could actually be useful, just a maximum pressure campaign, economic pressure campaign against the regime right now would be helpful. That's that's pretty much the best move. That is the best move right now. Honestly, if, if we really wanted to topple the regime as quickly as possible, uh, something that perhaps is not as popular, what I think that needs to happen would be to, to find ways to help the Cuban people procure arms themselves. And I know that is something that most people don't want to hear, but the United States didn't become an independent country by signing letters and asking King George simply to, to grant independence to the 13 colonies, right? There, there was a uh, fight for independence. There was the American Revolution. And that's what the Cuban people need, a Cuban revolution that is not socialist, a revolution for freedom. Same in Venezuela, same in Nicaragua, same in many other countries. Wow. Something to think about for sure. Daniel, really appreciate your expertise on this. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Buck. Donald Trump is back in action over the weekend, speaking at the annual CPAC convention. We'll take a look at some of the highlights from the 45th president's speech when we come back. If you're anything like me, you have to start your day with a healthy dose of caffeine. And that means kicking off my morning with Black Rifle Coffee. Not only is it some of the best coffee I've ever tasted, it's a veteran-owned company that serves premium coffee to people who love America. Black Rifle Coffee is continually committed to supporting veteran law enforcement and first responder causes. This summer, Black Rifle invites you to enjoy your coffee. Not just the great taste, but the places you drink it and the passion and adventure it inspires. Plus, Black Rifle is going to be serving you entertainment along the way. Whether you're brewing the perfect cup of pour-over before kicking ass at work or cracking a can of 300 on your next backcountry mission, Black Rifle Coffee is here to fuel your way wherever the summer takes you. Black Rifle Coffee imports its high-quality beans from all over the world and roasts them five days a week at their facilities in Manchester, Tennessee and Salt Lake City, Utah. The team at Black Rifle Coffee is continually researching and experimenting with new roasting methods and coffee origins. Purchase at blackriflecoffee.com buck and use code buck at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Fuel your summer with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Former President Trump took the stage in Dallas, Texas yesterday, highlighting his message for the GOP during a fiery keynote speech at CPAC. Check it out. In our party and our movement, we're all united by the same shared American values and by unyielding resolve to defend our beloved nation. We believe in our Constitution and in law and order. We want law and order. We demand law and order. And above all, we live by the words of our national motto, in God we trust. 
President Trump also making the case during that speech that the Biden administration has been a disaster on pretty much every major issue under their portfolio. The border, total mess. Law enforcement, crime, total mess. The economy, lukewarm at best when it should be exploding out of the COVID lockdowns, but it's not happening. A lot of people staying home, not going to work, largely because they're paid to not work, at least until September, which is slowing down the recovery and means that everyone else is dealing with an economic situation that's not as uh, full of growth and, and uh, dynamism as it should be. But President Trump is clearly the, not just keynote at CPAC, but really the key piece of making the GOP's case publicly, even though he doesn't have Twitter and Facebook and some of the, uh, some of the social media platforms that he got used to dominating in the political cycle while he was the president. And just to give a sense of how well he's really doing and, and what it looks like right now, CPAC had its very well-known straw poll and Trump came out way ahead at CPAC, at least, of DeSantis in the straw poll, 70% to 21%. So uh, that's, that's something that, you know, when you see that, you say, okay, so if Trump decides to run, it's going to be Trump as the GOP nominee, most likely. I mean, you, you can't see that number and not feel like, and by the way, there are a lot, who would, a lot who would point to the fact that it is unlikely, it seems, that Mike Pence would be VP for Trump again. And so we could have the Grover Cleveland situation here. We could have Trump lose, then win. And maybe Ron DeSantis would be his VP at 21, per, you know, with 21% of the vote. He's certainly getting a fair amount of GOP support. He's a younger guy, very pro-Trump. So DeSantis, Trump as the ticket, with Trump at the top, DeSantis as the VP. After, after CPAC, you think that's very compelling. I know this stuff all feels like it's far away, but it's going to come up before you know it. And back to some of the issues where Trump was particularly animated about what a disaster the left has been. He spoke about the defund the police movement, something we're talking about today on the show. And there's no question that what's happened in America when it comes to defund is, well, the complete collapse of the narrative that that's not anything other than reckless left-wing activist insanity for anyone who's really paying attention. And uh, Trump is saying that they're just trying to do everything they can to avoid the recognition of that reality and the insanity of defund. Here's what he said at CPAC. In New York City, crime is out of control. It's at record levels, with nobody being prosecuted, except, of course, innocent Republicans are being prosecuted. The Democrats know their policies on crime are so unpopular, so radical, so crazy. They are now trying to pretend they never led the defund the police movement in the first place. This information. We never said defund the police. You know who did it? The Republicans did it. That's what they do. It's called disinformation. It is disinformation when they suggest that Democrats are the pro-police funding the police party. That's obviously not the case. And it's something that we, we should all be very honest about where we are with this and what we've seen. And there should be major political consequences for the Democrats as a result of this, because they have, with their narrative and with their decision making, and in some cases their actual uh, actions, they have made dozens of cities uh, less safe in the last year, and people have suffered, people have gotten shot, people have died as a result of that substantial increase in crime. 
And that's something that we're going to continue to follow here because Trump is making the case. But you'll notice that there are a lot of media outlets there, uh, outlets out there that are not spending time on this issue. Or if they do, they go with whatever the Democrat flavor of the moment may be. They'll say that it's actually about uh, getting guns off the streets. Or they'll say that the real problem is that we're not focusing on the areas where law enforcement has been able to bring the violence numbers or bring the crime numbers down overall, whatever it may be, all these tactics of distraction. But uh, Trump was having none of it. None of it. He was uh, hammering hard on the Democrats and on the Biden administration for, the first, uh, for what they've done in the first six months in office. And this is where you have to say, what is the area of success? If you were to find one point of real, uh, real victory for the Biden team so far, what would it be? What area of decision-making? Oh, they're going to talk about the vaccine? That's Operation Warp Speed. They've distributed it. They didn't hit the numbers they said they were going to hit. And now they're talking about making life more difficult for people who don't get the vaccine. So this, this fight is far from over. Continue to follow this one here. After months in, uh, of violence of, in major cities across the country, which we were just talking about, President Biden's getting ready to address the issue with local leaders and law enforcement. So what took you so long, Joe? We got more with retired NYPD officer John Cardillo when we come back. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own and you didn't want to make big rookie mistakes to start out? I felt exactly the same way as you until over a year ago. I I love the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't want to get involved in something that was just too complicated for me to do properly in the early stages. Well, that's when I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. And now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process, from picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey today with experts with a proven track record of success. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With local police struggling to keep up with violent crime around the country, it appears Joe Biden is finally getting ready to address the issue. Today, alongside Attorney General Merrick Garland, the president met with a number of city leaders and law enforcement officials, including New York City's likely next mayor, Eric Adams, D.C. Mayor Miro Bowser, and police chiefs from several cities. It remains to be seen what, if anything, will emerge from the meeting, but given the Biden administration's track record on violent crime, 
should probably keep your expectations pretty low. Joining me now is former NYPD officer and conservative commentator, John Cardillo. John, always good to see you. Always great to be with you, Buck. Thanks. Is this just now what we should expect from Democrats, where they have meetings to talk about what should have been obvious all along and won't actually do what's obvious, but will come out of those meetings with something about gun control? I mean, is, is this just photo op stuff? Yeah, I think it is. You know, and what's so ironic about this, Buck, is that Joe Biden was one of the chief architects of Bill Clinton's 1994 crime bill, right? I mean, it included horrible provisions like that idiotic cosmetic-only assault weapons ban that did nothing to prevent crime. But there were actually some pretty good provisions in that bill. Uh, departments like the NYPD got tens of millions of dollars. I think back then we got about 30 million bucks for new gear to further Rudy Giuliani's safe streets, safe city strategies. So Joe Biden used to be a pretty pro-police guy, but now his handlers, I think people that really were Barack Obama's handpicked people in the Biden administration, look, they see how defund the police is polling. We're seeing poll upon poll, scientific, we're hearing thousands of anecdotal incidents around the country now, even from Democrats saying, Defund the police isn't resonating with anyone, Buck. It's not resonating with any race, any demographic, any religion. It's just not resonating. People like to see a police presence. The Biden administration knows this. So look, great photo op, media op, put a bunch of cops, bunch of chiefs in uniform with the stars on their shoulders around a table. Will anything come of this? Probably not. Police officer retirements are up 45%, John. Resignations up 18%. Yep. But Biden saying his rhetoric is anti-gun violence, not defund the police. Uh, the, the, the gun, it just feels like the gun digression is, is what we're going to see here, right? I mean, it's going to turn into, you know what, yeah. you know what, the conservatives maybe have a point about the cold, hard facts, the data about shootings, because that's pretty unavoidable, what we've seen last year in major cities. So then they say, yeah, you're right, guys. Let's tackle this by setting up gun crime task forces. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Number one, they've eliminated those, right? In cities like New York, you and I have spoken about this. The liberals, the far left Democrats, demanded the disbanding of the street crime unit, which was a citywide plainclothes gun task force. They demanded the disbanding of precinct level anti-crime units. Same type of unit, plainclothes, targeted guns and robberies, because they thought they were too aggressive and too proactive. Now they're bringing back the things they disbanded, but it's chilling because they want to bring in federal agents to do those jobs. Now, federal agents have their missions. Local policing is not one. This is going to be disastrous for civil liberties, but more importantly, it shows the hypocrisy of the left because now they're going to the Fed for help in, in fixing what they themselves broke with the, to reinstate units they themselves disbanded. It's horrible. Do you think the Democrats are in a position where they're going to have to just, without saying it, admit that the conservative critique here was right all along and they'll have to, they'll have to effectively refund certain police departments um, and, and give greater leeway to law enforcement? Or are they just planning to use the cover of, oh, we're addressing gun violence. It's going to take some time so, you know, you and I will sit here in six to nine months, maybe a year, and the Democrats will be saying, 
you know what, uh, our gun violence program is still ongoing. So we have, you know what I mean? It, it effectively just buys them time going into the midterms. Is, is that the move? What's, what's their play here? Yeah, look, I think their play is twofold, right? It's that, it's to buy political time uh, and to create a window dressing of proactivity. But if we had an honest media, that would be exposed because take a city like Baltimore. Baltimore's murder rate right now is somewhere in the neighborhood, ready for this, of 18 times that of New York City. New York City's is on the rise. LA's is on the rise. What do these places have in common? You know where I'm going. The most restrictive gun laws in the nation. So it's not about gun control. Now, I love that dumb argument. Well, Chicago's only dangerous because Indiana right next door, well, it's much easier to get a gun. Well, then why doesn't Indianapolis have Chicago's murder rate? I mean, the, the arguments are moronic, but this is all about disarming Americans. This has nothing to do with crime reduction. You know, Buck, real quick, even if, even if everybody tomorrow, if the liberals could wave a wand and everybody in the country said, okay, we're for full gun bans and confiscations, it's impossible. The FBI, the ATF have long estimated there are about 100 million illegal guns out there. Criminals are not going to cooperate and turn them in. As we sit here, you've got about 700,000 law enforcement officers, state, local, federal in the United States. They would have to do nothing all day, every day, except confiscate guns, never respond to a traffic accident, never respond to a burglary. The DEA would have to stop interdicting drugs. All they would have to do all day, every day is go after guns, and maybe they'd get a fifth, a tenth of the guns. It's such a ridiculous and mind-numbingly dumb proposal, but the left hasn't been known has been known for its intellect, right? I mean, it's it's just sad we don't have the media that reports that. John, do you think that the the right that the conservatives, Republicans, are doing enough to to essentially raise to the public consciousness what a disaster defund and BLM 2.0 have been? I mean, do you do you feel like there are people who are making that case in a way that's really resonating? Because it, to me, if Democrats don't pay a price for this in the midterms, which means losing the Senate and the House, they're, they're, we'll have BLM 3.0 and defund all over again. Just give it two or three years, and the same voices will be saying the whole system is racist, and we have to you know, go back and learn these painful lessons. I mean, unfortunately, we're talking about the crime stats, John, as you know. We're looking at people being shot. I mean, we're looking at lives lost as, as a result of this. So is the, is the GOP making the case strongly enough in your mind? No, God, no, they're not. Come on. Ronna McDaniel, the GOP chairwoman, is too worried about getting gift bags from the Chamber of Commerce. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, this guy is Pelosi's doormat. And then whenever I criticize them, I, I, I have people that claim to be America first, claim to be on our side of this thing, who text me. Oh, you got to lay off, Kevin. You got to lay off, Ronna. We're not in the majority right now. Really? When was Maxine Waters ever silent when she was in the minority? When was uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, when were they ever silent wallflowers when they were in the minority? I am so sick of the gutless GOP because, Buck, this is a gimme on a silver platter. This is a layup. Defunding police means more crime. How in the world the establishment GOP is screwing up that messaging is beyond me, but predictably they are. John, always appreciate your perspective, my friend. Good to see you. Good to see you, Buck. Thanks. A Penn State professor goes full-blown racist during a critical race theory lecture, and a mother stands by and watches her son 
just respect the American flag. What are they really teaching our children these days? That plus more coming up on Quick Hit. How much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home. That's a $100 value, free. Again, register your address now, see if you're already a victim, and you'll get this $100 value title history of your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com. A mother stands and not only watches, but just straight up lets her son disrespect the American flag. Plus, Kamala Harris makes a pretty absurd statement. Not the first time that's happened. Let's get into quick hits. I actually wanted to start with uh, Dr. Fauci's outrage, the horror of hearing people say at CPAC that they're glad that 90% of the country has not gotten vaccinated. Here's that exchange with uh, CNN's fake tapper. The government was hoping that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated, and it, and, and it, and it isn't happening, right? There, there's a y- younger people... I'm going to cut him off right there because he just goes on to just say things that are not true about the vaccine. But what I wanted to get your reaction to is the crowd cheering when this gentleman talks about how the government was not able to achieve a 90% vaccine goal. The crowd cheers. Um, as a public health official, what's your reaction when you hear that? It's, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, they're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I mean, if you just unpack that for a second, Jake, it, it, it's almost frightening. It's almost frightening that teenagers, people in their 20s who are at effectively zero risk realistically from COVID don't want to get a shot that does have some side effects, that all, all vaccines can have some side effects. Uh, that's crazy to the Fauciites, of course. If only they would accept open and honest discussion about this and stop playing games. I don't know, maybe they should talk about people that have natural immunity from being infected and have antibodies and explain to us why those people should have to get the vaccine. Then, then at least they would be attempting something near honesty, but that's not what they're doing. All right, plus you have uh, this other thing. We mentioned this to you. A, a boy, this just went viral. I want to show this to you. Boy stops on his bike. It's not, not in his own home. He stops his bike. This is when someone's, uh, you know, one of those Nest or whatever those cameras are. Stops his bike. The mom watches. And he just picks up the flag and throws it on the ground. And I'm just wondering, what the heck is that? First of all, that's someone else's property, right? It's clear that those people don't live there. So you're, you're just, even if you really, for whatever reason, don't like the flag, at least teach your kid to respect other people's property, not trespass, not destroy things that don't belong to you, or, you know, mess with things that don't belong to you. But then also, I mean, 
how can you be an American parent? You see someone do that and you see someone show disrespect to the American flag and not say to yourself, what the heck are you doing? Well, because maybe kids are being raised to think that the American flag is a bad thing. Um, all right, Penn State pulled a uh, professor, I'm sorry, Penn State's professor polls. So you gotta see this, just play it. I just take the average white guy in class. Look at Russell right here. Just doesn't matter what he does. If I match him up with the black, a black guy in class or a brown guy even, but let me just stay with a black guy in class who's just like him, has the same GPA, looks like him, walks like him, talks like him, acts in the similar way, has been involved in the same groups on campus, is it, takes the same leadership positions, does whatever it is. If I match him up against that person, we send him in to the same jobs upon graduation. You've all done, he's done everything he's supposed to do. And the person I match him with has done everything he has been supposed to do. He's supposed to do at Penn State, right? They tell you, right? They, do, do it, man. Go see your advisors and go do this and go do internships and do. And if you did this, if Russell did the same things, it's just the next person, somebody else I find in this classroom and they go through four years here exactly together. Russell has a benefit of having white skin. Really? There's a, I guess there's, a, there's now affirmative action and hiring for the, the, the white guy. Is that what's being suggested here? That's a very interesting, interesting statement, isn't it? Um, something else that just came across our radar. Kamala Harris says that people who live in rural areas can't make photocopies. Just wanted to see it. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. People have. Yeah, they, they never even heard of fax machines in rural areas or, or, or the smartphones that all of us have that actually can take a photo of something and just as good as a, uh, a scan of it. But just putting it out there. All right, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. Uh, but before we go, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, My Digital Money. Everybody wants to invest in cryptocurrencies these days, but it's not that easy to get started. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. One of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins. They trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7. A play money accounts, you can test the market without risking your money. And with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. And when it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals that have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. All right, that's it for Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly's up next. Shields high.